National Rebellion. You know, I just want, I like to be honest about it. If, if we start to, to go off on a tangent, then we go off on a tangent. All right, so go ahead and state your name for the record. Holly Mulcahy. And you're from? Well, you I, live in where? I live in Chicago. I am the concert master of the Chattanooga Symphony and now Wichita Symphony. Both. Both. Okay. Now, well, last year was a trial season, so oh. I was back and forth between Wichita and five or six times. Okay. So. So it's not in a too extensive a season in Wichita. It's about the same as Chattanooga. It is. September through the end of April. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So. And then how many weekends in that period? About. I no idea. Yeah. I don't know yet. Right. But like 15? Probably. Something, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And how many times do you have to play movie scores? Twice. Sorry, how many times do you get the opportunity get, to play movie well, scores? Well, you know what? It depends on the movie. I get to play E.T. and I get to play Apollo 13. Okay. And then the others? I'm happy not to play... Um, well, those are the only two they're offering and I'm I glad. See. I think they're good scores. Okay. There's some real stinkers out there, but those are good ones. Right. So what's the stinker? I'm trying to think. Well, I don't like Harry Potter. That's ah, personal. And I, okay. And Lord of the Rings, I don't like the movie, so I... Okay. Yeah, help, liking the movie helps. I mean, the, the music is good. It's a talented composer, but um, I don't like the movie, so... Right. I don't like that kind of colors it for me. So you're not into Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings? Oh, gosh, no. Not a fantasy person? Game of Thrones is okay. Oh, but Game of Thrones, okay. All right. Right. So what's your uh, experience been with the San Diego Mainly Mozart Festival? It's been fun. It's um, having a whole section of concert masters. I was wondering how is this going to work out. Right. Uh, but it's really fun because people uh, seem very comfortable with one another. Mm -hmm. um, and you, I, I see people kind of getting relaxed. You know, there's everybody knows what it's like to be a concert master. So, like um, yesterday, some of the Boeing's were a little screwy, and somebody said, "Who's?" Bad boys, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and everybody laughs because you, you get that question all the time directed at us. Right. Our whole orchestra. So it's just fun to to experience that mm -hmm. and just goof around a little with right. that kind of. And did the Boeings get changed or oh, just yeah, go with they, it? They were all adjusted on the fly. Okay. But um, yeah, they weren't good. I don't know whose they were. Yeah, I have no idea where the. But it, it, it's like you got twelve different people. 12 different ideas, mm -hmm. so it's just fun. Right. So, and you, but there's a, I'm sure there's, I don't want to say inside jokes, but there's certain things oh, you yeah. all understand about. Oh, definitely. The, each other's experiences, maybe. Definitely. And certain little things about asking about Boeings that in our home orchestras that can be a little uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just tiresome. Yeah, so talk about the Boeings thing, like the politics of Boeing. What is going on there? The in here or just anywhere, in yeah, in general. Well, like up bow, down bow, like is it? I wrote a great blog about. You this. did. All right, want we'll we'll to link it in? You have to. It's called um, Boeing for Maulers. <laughs> very punny. Very, very punny. Yeah, and it talks. About, I, I wanted to break it down for regular people, and I count regular people like my parents, not musicians, so that uh -huh. they can understand the choreography of Boeing. Right. I mean, because we're kind of like schooling fish. We all want to go in the same direction, or, mm -hmm. you know, a flock of birds. And there is a choreography to it. So there's a lot of philosophies of what's right and what's wrong, and the argument is always, you know, it's always wrong. It's somebody's opinion. You're not going to make everybody happy. Um, and it's very personal. 
Mm. When I bow for my orchestras, I, I take into account who I'm bowing for, the maestro. Um, I want to try to anticipate as much as possible. Are they a fast bronze or are they a slow bronze? Are they, um, they like a lot of breath in their phrasing, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I also take into account who my, my violinists are. Are they going, are they going to be 10 deep or are they going to be 16 deep? Okay. So there's a lot of cheating you can add by adding extra bowings and, and um, then What is the cheating from extra uh, bowings? Well, like, like you've got like a, like a fuller sound? phrase and you, you're going one direction like a down bow mm-hmm. from the bottom of the bow to the tip. Um, you might need to take more breath. It's like singing. You run right. out of air. So you just okay. add some more breaths. I see. If your section is small, you want to kind of cheat uh, a little, make it sound a little bigger. Okay. And then I take into account the acoustics. If you're mm. playing in a dead hall, you have to kind of do some things to fake it a little bit. Okay. And then the last thing I do is I'll add uh, some visual things that sometimes it doesn't matter. It, it mm-hmm. just looks good. And people go to right. audience, they, the audience comes to watch the music mm-hmm. they hear with their eyes. So you want them to, you know, flourish on the end so the bows go up into the air. It's not necessary sometimes, but it just looks good. Right. So, so it's some theatrics as well. Theatrics, absolutely. Yeah. Because if they're going to get off their couch and pay $80 or whatever to go mm-hmm. to a concert, I want it to look good. Right. So. Yeah. And keeps them coming back sometimes. Sometimes. This, you know, it's what first struck me the, about this orchestra the first time I saw it was how, what a pleasure it was to watch. Yeah, but that's the other thing that I'm enjoying is watching every all these concert masters, they all know the part because that's part of our job is we need to know the viola part, the cello part, and kind of how it all works together. Mm-hmm. When the oboe is about to make an entrance, you see 12 people looking over <laughs> like, you're about to come in right, right that's funny. And so the oh, movement wow. is all very um, organic. Mm-hmm. It feels really good. Yeah. Um, so that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, because for the whole section to have that knowledge is oh yeah, that's incredible. That it just you just added a new layer. Like I didn't concert master is a little bit of a confusing role, I think, for the uninitiated. For people, I mean, you get I always like the the concert master is the quarterback. Right. Yeah, I wrote a blog about this. Okay. The blog is called um, "It's More Than Wearing Pretty Shoes." <laughs> okay. Because I was asked, "What does a concert master do?" Mm-hmm. Um, and then that person who said that said, "So let me guess, you just wear pretty shoes and, and come out and tune the orchestra?" No. No. There's yeah. a lot to it. Yeah, because being a section player um, in a stamp like a, a prestigious orchestra isn't always as prestigious as being a concert master yeah. anywhere. And it's a personal decision. Correct. Um, I, I prefer a leadership position. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in a section, I, I don't thrive. Okay. Well, but right. um, that's just me. It's or, a personality. It's personality, and, and some, I think it's, yeah, I guess it is. It's, it comes down to who I am. Right. <laughs> so concert masters aren't just made, sometimes they're, they're born as well. I think so. Yeah, I think it's a little, little column A, little column B. Right. Well, like any. Yeah. Yeah, for just a little bit, if that's okay. We're doing a podcast. Okay. So we'll edit that out. (laughs) I will edit that out. Keeps it real. That's right. That's right. It's the the real... Here's something for you. What do you think is the number one... We'll say 
top two or three barriers holding back a growing audience in classical music? Barriers? Barriers. Could be any... Not, yeah, go ahead. The top two or three? Mm-hmm. That's a really... That's hard to It's a hard question. I'm going to start with the audience themselves. Okay. They're one of the biggest barriers. There is a hierarchy of, of those in the know, and you can kind of feel that they will kind of push out newcomers because you know there's a bit of well you don't belong Mm -hmm. and I say this with um, complete knowledge in this because I did an experiment I went to the CSO in Chicago in blue jeans okay I kept casual top because I wanted to feel what it felt like to sit in the good seats with that attire sure because orchestras all across the country say come in what you what you're comfortable right Um, and I was not made to feel welcome Interesting. It was awful. And hmm. people You mean just like looks or Oh yeah, beyond the looks and little ladies says you shouldn't come dressed in jeans. Oh, okay. I'm like, well thanks, noted. Right. They're hundred dollar jeans, you know. <laughs> on a sale, yeah. maybe I'm you know yeah. exactly. <laughs> they're designer. <laughs> but um, but audience they um, they're they're awful. Um, they if you are uh, clap and what right. somebody assumes is inappropriate, let's say mm-hmm. you clap at the end of the third movement of Tchaikovsky 6, you get a lot of angry people yeah. who are like, how dare you not know? That's kind of actually the only appropriate time to clap <laughs> Tchaikovsky 6. I disagree. You do, uh, it doesn't leave you with a, like a, it kind of leaves you with nothing at the end of it. I think, We'll do a little side here. Yeah, my, we'll personal side. Thing, yeah. my personal thought on Tchaikovsky 6 is uh-huh. every conductor, before they begin that, should give the audience a service of, it is my philosophy to, we're going to clap after three, or we're not going to clap after three. Here's why. Right. Um, the, if you encourage an audience not to clap, that tension is so palpable when you yeah. get to that final movement, it's just the whole audience feels yeah. it. But let's make it a group effort mm-hmm. and not make anybody feel stupid. Right. And that's the thing, the other thing, um, for number two, for why audiences mm-hmm. are not coming, is there is a, a fear of feeling stupid. Right. You don't know what to wear, you don't know when to clap. Mm-hmm. Um, the way pre concert talks are kind of assume that you're stupid. Right. The way people talk down to you, hmm. not you, but I mean, you know, an audience can get talked to, uh, just in the manner of saying, well, of course Mozart wrote, you know, five violin concertos. When you add the of course, yes, that's so pretentious, and it just, it's nauseating. It's not mm-hmm. inviting anybody, and it's pushing people out. Well, and it, to me it shows a uh, lack of self-esteem within oh, yeah. the organization. Yeah. Is that, or the, or the... Do you know what I mean? Like, like you, like you, it's like you're putting this, the uninitiated down in order to kind of build your. That's all like a low self-esteem thing. It is. It's totally. It's, yeah. um, and then we want, and this is us doing it to the audiences. Right. So why would they want to come in and not feel welcome and not feel smart? Mm-hmm. I think that the whole industry needs to just take turn a corner and invite people in. To, right. to experience it, and there's there's no wrong answers. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. It's art. Right. And how you feel is how you feel. There are yeah. some answers that are better than others, though. There are. Yeah. But to, to allow people to, to their own discovery. And your answers will get better over time. Yes, or they'll change. Yeah. I mean, my answers from 20 years ago are mm-hmm. 
I consider wrong now, but yeah. back then I was like, that's who it was. Yeah, well, we were just talking about yeah. that pieces of music that used to, <laughs> yes. we used to listen to all the time, and now I wouldn't listen to voluntarily Well, and that's the all. other thing. I'm going to say this is my third. I've, I've got about 200 reasons why the industry is failing. But um, we, we tend to, to shame people. Like, people say, oh, I love Pachelbel Cannon. Right. I I would be happy never to hear it again mm-hmm. or ever play it again. But to somebody, they might just have discovered that piece. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, let me hook you up with some Pachelbel. Let me get you a really right. good Pachelbel, and then let me let me pivot you a little bit. Yeah. If you like Pachelbel, let me hook you up with some Philip Glass mm-hmm. here. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, let's let's um, let's up it a bit. Yeah, and so and invite them right. that way instead of saying, "Oh, you like Pachelbel? What kind of moron are you?" Right. Well, that's what's implied. Yeah. Oh. And so I'm gonna agree with you on everything you just said, and try to put a canopy on top of it, based on lectures that I've listened to uh, by sometimes controversial Professor Jordan Peterson. Okay. Um, but I've listened to his lectures from the University of Toronto. And what he highlights is Jean Piaget and childhood development mm. and how what we are learning throughout life is the rules of each game that we play. Yes. And the idea is to be invited to as many games as possible to play. That's success, right? Because if you're if you're not fun to play with other people, you aren't going to invite you to come play. Well, with others. Yeah, it's a real thing, and so that it cl- clarifies also it's not how you whether you win or lose it's how you play the game. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's even like clinical research with rats and the way like if, if a big rat wins too many times, the little one won't ask it to play anymore. Like it's a real biological thing, and so having heard that, I was like, this is exactly what you just said is nobody knows the rules to the game. Uh, 
um, but what you want to do is try to build that audience and cultivate that and say, hey, did you like this? Maybe you should invite your neighbors and have a dinner and explain your rules. Welcome them in and say, you know, I, I love this Mozart symphony. You're going to want to clap after the first movement. You might do it, but nobody's going to be clapping with you. you know? So you kind of help them along. But I think that's more in the audience's... It's Oh yes, and they're going to hold on to it too. Yes, because yeah. people want to feel smart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Nobody wants to be that kid in the school classroom again. That's. Well, that's the idiot. You know? <laughs> so, and then there's the the other clappers. These these are my favorite. They, as soon as the piece is done, it hasn't even had a chance to breathe. They're like, bravo! You know, it's like a good for you, good yes, for you for you being the first. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a sport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think. Um, that is, a, it, it was a fun start. Uh, I just decided I had an end into a prison through a mentor program. And I decided I would play what I was going to do for a recital, which was a bunch of Bach and a couple of new pieces. Uh, and I expected, well, they're certainly going to love Bach. Of course they're going to love Bach. Who doesn't like Bach? And I'll just play these new pieces because I need to practice this recital. And, they're a captive audience, <laughs> so which is I, I was using that as a a vehicle for myself to get nervous and play these newer pieces by Jennifer Higdon and Mark Mellitz. And what I do differently when I take music into prison is I don't teach. I don't say here's how you should feel. Here's you know this piece by Bach. It was written in blah blah blah. It's got so many movements, and you know nobody cares. People usually don't care the dates of a piece or how fast or the titles. They just want to be moved. So I played the stuff and found out they liked the Bach, but they loved the Higdon. They loved the Mellets. And I think partially because it took them to a very raw emotion. And it also was, I made it known that these are friends of mine and I was going to tell the composers what they thought. And they thought that was really cool. So there have been kind of bridges and friendships built through this. And exactly. And ironically, you said that. Um, both the living composers and the inmates share the same thing. They, they feel like they're not being heard. And so we're covering, playing a lot of living composers' works in there for huge audiences. We've built the program from 75 people who Back come. Office. It's a volunteer. Another you one. can come if you want or sit in your park. Two, three hundred. For, for a living composer concert, that's pretty good. <laughs> so... But I, I always start the program the same way. There are no rules, and you can feel however you want. There are no right answers, no wrong answers, and after I play a piece, I don't say anything. I don't say, well, I love this piece. It made me feel this way. We pass around microphones, and they talk, and it really informs the musicians in another dimension of enjoyment. That makes such a huge difference in the 
in the way. So as a columnist, I have to listen to the content and Yes, you do. You have to be very present, sleeves rolled up. Yeah, and so if the audience, your audience knows, they're going to be asked. Yes and no. Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't. They don't have to, they don't have to say anything. They also have surveys they write down. But they're there because they want to. They can either stay in their dorms and watch CNN or reality TV. Or they can come, and the word's gotten out that uh, it, the music takes you places. You know when you're getting hamburger, and you know when you're getting a steak, and I'm bringing a really good steak. Um, but they, they're, it's like watering a plant that's, that's not seen water in a while. There's, this is their art access, and it allows them to really feel, and I get that a lot. You know, you've, you've taken us to places we didn't know we had emotionally left. This is put your finger on another issue. And that's the most outreach. Oh, outreach is horrible. Well, here's our young artists who are completely mature and full back by And that's the outreach. And so it's not, look, there's no one could have done it. I can't say no one. So last night, the Grand Park Vito was astounding. Oh, I heard, yeah. Astounding. And I'm sitting there, and it's not immediately accessible, in my opinion. 50 minutes there, yeah, it's just Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, everybody knows. You don't have to be yeah. a trained you know, right. and artist. So I'm, looking, I'm thinking about stuff that I've seen that's been outreach to the community, and it's not, I'm not specifically criticizing anyone. I'm no, just speaking not. very thinly, just stuff that I've observed over the years. And even when I was in school, you know, like, the guy who came in and talked to us about classical music was boring as the day is long. Yes. <laughs> well, I think that's the one thing that when we go to school, we're, we're starting to kill our career already because we talk about us. And when we go out and we do our outreach, it's about us. It's more in-reach than outreach. Because we don't know and we don't understand that there is an audience. They are coming to feel something. We're feeling stuff. We feel awesome by playing the Mozart. But um, it's... We should be more interested in what they have to say, I think, and make it about them. And the artists, we're all so, and I'm guilty of this at home. I, my husband's like, oh, that's such a concert master thing to say. Um, but I think what a good um, empathy exercise is for everybody in the industry, this is terrible, that we should be able to go out and spend $100, not get a break, no comp tickets, go out and experience it, you know, find parking, go through the, the whole ticket buying process and go and just experience the whole thing. And then you, you start to look at it through a different lens. And then you start to understand, wow, I left Netflix to come feel this. That is interesting because when I, so I don't pay for a lot of concerts. Of course not. Yeah. Um, there's some where I do pay on purpose so I can kind of say what I do want to say. Yes. Um, but not always. Uh, like if I'm in New York and I go to the Metropolitan Opera, I pay for those tickets. So then I 
have to guard myself against um, rose-tinted glasses because I put money into this. That changes the whole equation. It does. Do I want to be like, I just wasted $80 and four hours watching this production of William Where it was phoned in. Right. And so it's four, or am I going to be like, I've got to say that was great because I just spent $80 in four hours. Well, I think that you don't have to like everything you buy. But um, yeah. it, it changes the equation and for me on stage, knowing what it feels like to go through and spend $100, it's a lot for me to spend for a performance. But to know there are people out there who, who are not making a lot of money, but they put in and they bought that ticket and they need this artistic escape and they need to feel something. I need to be present and really aware of their needs. Yeah. As fellow humans. Yeah, that's been my best experience as a music is when it's been obvious to me that the musician, soloist, or orchestra is serving yes. the music and the Right. And then the heavens open. Yes. That's when you know you've got a sincere product. Right. And, and you can always feel it. Even if you're a professional musician, even if you're not a professional musician, you know when somebody's phoning yeah. something in. Oh yeah, it's a very indulgent, self-indulgent. Um, but I think that's one of the ways that is something we have in our power as artists to really be aware of so that the audience can feel that energy. And that's what I think is so great about mainly Mozart is there is an energy. It is palpable. You can't help but feel that. sitting in an audience was her inviting the audience in by her facial expressions. She was very generous with offering, here's a phrase I love, here's a, a, you know, a 
really complex, you know, meaningful question in music, and here's how I'm resolving it. And she just would kind of smile and look at the audience and thought, what a way to engage them and invite them in instead of just forget that they're there and have like kind of like this blinder up where you're not included, thanks for coming, but I'm not including you on this. Very special phrase. <laughs> She was very inclusive, and that was informative to me, because you know, it, it teaches me a little bit of the next concerto I play. Maybe I need to be a little bit more yeah. inclusive. It's interesting you say that, because Jeremy Dake did the same thing in our opening. Oh, I'd love to have seen Yeah, you, you know, and you have to also admire someone's ability to actually kind of bleakly interact with the audience while they're playing. It, that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. It takes a lot of emotional energy too. Because you've got you want to stay concentrated but you want to share this intimate you know, piece. picture view. I, I think that's outstanding. I wish more maestros did big, a big picture, both um, artistically and, and just the leadership of the group. It's, it's really a big picture. Thanks, are you? Yeah, in a week I'll go to the Grand Tetons for... Um, we're doing Carmina with Runicles the first week. Yeah. And I, I have not run out yet, and, and I've not run out of listening, so I'm excited to play it, actually, because I've only done one performance of it. And that whole middle section doesn't ever really get played. Right. I mean, not in the auto commercials. Here's my little thing. The swan, the tenor solo. The weird one. Yeah. Oh, weird. So it's called on DVD. Yeah. I mean, that invites you in, and, and it does what art should do, which is 
having a conversation. Yes. 